Hello, welcome to the latest podcast from the University of Brighton as we continue our previews ahead of the latest rounds of inaugural lectures. I'm Richard Newman and this week I've been speaking to Harm Van Marwick, Professor in General Practice at Brighton and Sussex Medical School, an equal partnership between the universities of Brighton and Sussex. On Wednesday the 6th of March in the Checkland Building at Falmer, Harm will present his lecture which is titled How to Reinvent Primary Care from the Bottom Up engaging communities. Details on how to book are in the podcast description. Tickets are free and open to the general public. And I sat down with Harm recently to discuss his lecture. I am a um, professor in general practice at Brighton and Sussex Medical School and a sessional GP. Um, I'm originally from Holland. I've been working in the UK for the last four years now. We'll have a little chat about your inaugural lecture um, shortly. But firstly, can you tell us about your your general background? Yeah, I um, studied medicine in Holland um, a long time ago, I'm afraid. Um, and I've always worked as a GP and I worked um, in various academic uh, roles, uh, teaching uh, general practice to for vocational training purposes, uh, teaching undergraduates. And I've been involved in a lot of um, research activities as well. What encouraged you to make the move to, to the UK? That's in 2015, was it? Well, I think I was in, um, in France with um, my uh, wife and children, I think, for a holiday. And I received a phone call from a headhunting agency from um, London. And, and that was um, uh, contacting me on behalf of the University of Manchester. So they... they Call and, and sort of almost at, uh, immediately asked me to apply for um, a role as a professor in general practice. And that was a nice step for me. And also I, I felt I uh, needed new input, needed to learn some new stuff. Um, uh, so I thought this is um, a nice adventure to go to the UK. There was no sign of Brexit at that point, by the way. <laughs> Your inaugural lecture is titled How to Reinvent Primary Care from the Bottom Up, Engaging Communities. Um, can you just tell us a bit about what you're going to be talking about? Yes, my idea um, for this lecture actually came from doing clinical sessions in Manchester and, and also over here when I felt that there was a sense of crisis in primary care, a sense of um, tensions and, and, and uh, lack of uh, resource in a way. And I saw that many practices were actually forming teams, uh, communities, um, uh, to provide people with good care. And um, I thought, well, that's probably the most simple way forward if there's a big shortage of TPs, as there is in the UK. You probably need teams with clear roles and clear engagement with the local community to, to actually make general practice work. And I'm also a Dutch huisarts, which is in Dutch huisarts means a house doctor, so to speak, which means that is a doctor who is um, well, almost in your same street, in the same house as you. They're practicing very close to you, um, which is also is a very much um, a community focus. Because, I mean, GP surgeries are at the heart of a local community, aren't they? But yeah. they're under so much pressure is it quite hard to change that what needs to how can it be changed i guess it's quite a big question well yes i think there are many uh, many possible answers to that one one answer um is is as is happening now is um uh, new models of care what they call it and and, and, and for instance one um, one important impediment to practice in the uk for gps is that they are financially responsible as if they're a gp they're they're responsible for the building for the premises, that's a big hurdle, I think, for many um, G- young GPs to start um, 
with such huge um, financial worries. And also, as many practices would probably at some point um, see that the, 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 um, uh, that, some, that one of the partners will leave, uh, that, that sort of uh, creates an enormous uh, amount of financial unrest for them. Mm-hmm. So the partner model is probably not the most straightforward model, f- especially for deprived areas. Um, so I would think that... Um, uh, for instance, I work with the Wellsborne practice in, in Whitehawk, and they are um, a community interest company, which is a different type of financial structure, in a sense. Uh, and I think that type of um, of structure is probably much more likely to support communities than the traditional um, yeah, GP-based, practice-based um, partner model. How, how does that structure work? Uh, I think what they have is like a board uh, with nurses, with everyone uh, represented in that board. And um, uh, they have a contract, it's called an APMS contract uh, with um, with the NHS. And, and what it means basically is that it's like um, um, a social enterprise. So it means that uh, um, uh, the responsibility for the premises and responsibility for the contracts with the different people working there is actually shared. Um, and it's much uh, easier to um, participate in that as a GP, for instance. Yeah, I mean... Does that make sense? It, yeah, it, it does make sense. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's all about, I guess, easing the pressure on yeah. on GPs. I mean, I mean recently, we, we've only recently seen this news that the NHS is investing in 20,000 support staff and yeah. the likes of physios and pharmacists yeah. to sort of ch- take the burden. Do you think that's a, that's a good move, obviously? I think it is, but it needs um, it needs a good working model to actually deliver care in practice. To give you uh, an example, I worked in a practice in um, in Aldershaw near Manchester. That was a really nice practice, and they had a lot of room, which is very rare for uh, general practices in the UK. So there were a lot of different uh, rooms with uh, with plenty of spaces to do surgeries in. And there was also room for um, coffee and tea and, and shared lunch, but nobody was ever sitting there. So what we found in research that we did on burnout, GP burnout in Manchester, was that uh, some kind of coffee tea moment or lunch or, or an afternoon, even 10 minutes, is probably a very simple thing to organize, but very few practices do it. Mm-hmm. So some kind of meeting point at, in the day, every day, um, is probably focus. Mm-hmm. And, and because of time pressures, people think, well, we won't be able to meet uh, because our surgery is running late, or and but you have to sort of schedule that in, and even though it it can only be very brief, I think that's probably one thing that could um, give people a sense of community and um, and shared ownership. Because very they're very simple in theory, common sense approaches, yeah. aren't they, to creating a team atmosphere, just like in any other yeah. place of work, really. Totally. Totally, but I think because of all the stress, and and I think because GPs feel that they have nine point two two minutes available for their patients, and usually they have many questions, and they have a lot of chronic in- illnesses nowadays, um, and and all hospitals are sort of shifting the chronic illness load towards primary care very much with diabetes, hypertension, and everything now being treated in primary care mostly, no longer in hospitals. That means it's very very busy, so you have to make fundamental decisions, and it probably also means that GPs need to. We need to train GPs to become consultants in primary care. So they're all responsible for the more complex cases. Um, but that means a lot of uh, discussion within the practice. Who is the more complex case? When is the GP involved? Is the nurse in the lead? Is the nurse uh, actually um, qualified to do that? Can she be responsible for that type of care? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's not simple, but I think it's probably the only way forward. Mm. 
when we were talking about the sort of community field as well, not only just yeah. inside the practice itself, but I guess between the GP and the patient, because yeah. it's the time pressure, as you said, the sort of limitation of time, but you want to make sure you're creating up that relationship totally. with your patient. Totally. Uh, for instance, one of the things that's now um, interesting in the UK is called social prescribing. So sitting down um, uh, with the patient and, and, and seeing what's available locally, signposting them to, to for instance, um, uh, healthy living uh, initiatives or health trainer stuff or uh, local um, uh, physiotherapists, um, stuff like that. Groups that they do, uh, that it doesn't always cost a lot of money, but uh, I think... Um, to really engage with the community is, is probably um, yeah, the only way forward. And also, a lot of the problems like loneliness or uh, stress or um, all kinds of um, uh, health issues that people now have, um, yeah, you can only solve them locally, I would think. As someone that then teaches the next GPs, do you really have to try and put an emphasis then about, I guess it's that bedside manner, the care from a personal point of view rather than just the clinical point of view? Yes, totally. I think um, traditionally medicine has always had two strands. One is the uh, very, very specialized strand with very technical high level interventions for very partial issues like a, a vessel in your heart or something like that, which is really amazing. And, and it's, been, it's been through amazing developments. But there's always been uh, like a general strand, like so, so the whole person to talk about, for instance, um, what you want when you will become very severely ill or to talk about um, care plans for older people, when will they stay at home, when will they go to a home, a home for the elderly, stuff like that. You, you probably need, everybody needs some kind of place nearby uh, where, is the, where they have that type of general approach and they sort of know you, mm. even though perhaps not, if you're healthy, they probably wouldn't know you very well. Mm. But you have a sense of um, community or, yeah, familiar idea yeah would that make sense for you yes but i guess it's the part of the difficulty maybe when i just from the outside anyway yeah. is if you're if you're teaching the, the next gps to be to have that sort of level of feeling quite personal with the patient but when they go in they may go into a practice which yeah. is operating at a different level it's quite high stress so it's trying to keep those values back and yeah. try and drive change i guess as well totally yeah yeah my, my um my core value is uh, I would uh, describe as connectedness. So if, if practices would um, fo- would be able to focus more, or we'd be allowed to focus more on um, establishing connections and and um, and to help people with becoming connected, um, I think that could be um, uh, really helpful for people. Um, I think that's probably also what most GPs would agree with. This is not uh, rocket science or anything, but. Um, for our new medical students, that could also perhaps be a different narrative um, from a crisis narrative. It could be like a sense of change, so they can focus a bit more on the medicine, become a medical generalist, most of all. Um, and so they don't have to be responsible as a GP for, like I said, the money, for the premises, for everything else, for everybody's functioning and have primary responsibility for everything, actually. Mm but focus on the stuff that they're actually involved in. Does there need to be like, it's almost like a blanket review into this then? Because a lot of it comes down to, to money and then yeah. it'd be recruiting more GPs, investing in technology. Money's not a, something that the NHS has a great deal of access to. So, I mean, where do you, where, well, I I mean, I think, where do you start in it to get it to really drive it? I think only 8% of the NHS budget goes to primary care at the moment and they do 90% of the contacts. So... So it's also a question of allocating resources. So if you think that um, 
chronic care is important or social care is important or an interf- you need to have an interface for people to connect with care, then this obviously would require investments. That's sort of, yeah, <laughs> yeah. not that complicated. No, but, and as, but as someone that's come from the Netherlands to the UK, do you sort of find it quite frustrating to see it? Because you, you can always come out from an outside point of view and say this is so obvious. No, I think I, 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 this is a great healthcare system. It's really uh, wonderful that people have um, uh, free access to healthcare. I think that's a major um, uh, asset for any society. I think it's generally the same thing. Everybody would have access to care. But I think the difference here is that GPs are not integrated into the rest of the NHS system. They're private contractors in a way. So that makes their position more vulnerable, I would think. And it might be that they've chosen for that themselves because they want to be autonomous. At the moment, in 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 view of all these huge changes in society and everybody um, uh, being stressed, for instance, in Brighton with all the homelessness, um, there are many people with very complex issues. Um, and, and if you have a good primary care system, it's probably much easier to organise good care for them. That's basically my idea. Yeah, I mean, that actually links onto your, your key research yeah. um, topic is about vulnerable groups isn't it so could you just tell us about where that interest has come from and, and, and what you've been working on uh, yes as a doctor I think uh, I'm mostly interested in, in actually uh, the people who are the most sick so the most vulnerable a few of our projects uh, um, aligned with that one of them is um, called uh, Spices it's um, a European Horizon 2020 funded project and it's about uh, cardiovascular risk it's a collaboration with countries in Africa like uh, Uganda and South Africa and places in the UK, Nottingham, in Antwerp, in, in Belgium, and in France, in um, Brest. And we, we want to, to, to uh, develop a model, a community-based model, that would allow people to discuss their cardiovascular risk better. And uh, the way that we do it is that we um, try to engage with local groups like the, um, the people in Whitehawk, uh, at the Crew Club, for instance, we've had several conversations with them um, uh, about how to engage them and, and people in Hastings, for instance, and Rother, um, and, and um, uh, start community volunteer work uh, around um, um, cardiovascular risk, like uh, heart attack risk, heart, heart, rate, uh, heart um, disease. And um, we do that uh, with uh, the help of modern uh, digital technology. So we hope to um, develop uh, like an app that would allow people to see how their risk is, how bad it is with their heart. Uh, and and what they can do to um, to improve that risk. Is it right in saying as well that you you believe that digital technology could play quite a big part in in, in changing care? Yeah, I think it can, and it already does in many places. But um, I'm not entirely sure it will be focused on self management so much. This is actually when people have a high risk, um, they will engage with the nurse, and then the nurse will sort of um, communicate with them through this app. Mm. So it's more communication, I would think, than that the app will provide you with a lot of healthcare itself. So, so that's it's more about connection, I would think, but that's my basic theme, than about um, providing people who actually don't have a need for care with um, technology that won't solve their problems. So it's it's that's a, that's a complicated area. Um, obviously, everybody now has a mobile phone. We use this stuff for everything. Um, we can access all the information um, uh, that we want, but probably most of the time we want someone to tell us what is important and what's not important, mm. because there's so much information av- available. 
Uh, it'll be a really uh, interesting lecture and we'll put all the information um, alongside this uh, this podcast so people can know when, to, where, yeah. when it is and how to come. Um, on your work in general, you joined BSMS from University of Manchester, as yeah. you were just saying, you were headhunted in the first place. Um, what have you made of the area since, since relocating here? Oh, I really love it. My wife has, a, has an aunt and, an, and a niece or a cousin, I think you would say. Uh, so we've swapped houses for the last 10 years in the summer. So I was already very familiar with the area. Um, I totally love it. It's very nice uh, uh, seaside atmosphere. Uh, there's more light somehow here than in the rest of the UK. Um, the weather is almost always good. I, I, this is a very yeah, open-minded school. So I think I, um, I went to work on my bicycle and my shorts for six months last year So because the weather was so good. I don't think you could do that anywhere else in the world or perhaps at least you can't do that anywhere else in England. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is all very nice. So we were having conversations with um, with the secretaries uh, about uh, male colleagues of ours who who are uh, interested in in painting their nails, which is obviously totally not something I've ever uh, uh, such open conversations. I don't I've, I've never had, uh, and they uh, offered to do mine as well, which is probably for me just one step too far yet. But I might do that eventually. Um. <laughs> I also read as well that you one part of the reason why you came down here is because um, more opportunities to teach. So yeah. clearly, it's, uh, that's a passion of yours. It's an adventure. Yeah, it's, it's, it was a great adventure so far. Uh, obviously, it's um, it's uh, it's not always easy to organise everything, but it was it has been a great um, great ride so far for yeah. me. Yeah. So I, I I would love to stay here for another um, number of years and and to help um, teach the new generations of doctors. Um, like I said, about generalism, about the fun of being um, quite close to where your patients live. We finish every podcast by just asking some very simple, quick-fire questions. Yeah. Uh, so here we go. First of all, um, since moving here then, favourite place in Sussex? I think my favourite place in Sussex is um, probably um, uh, Morocco, it's near, in Hove, near, near the beachfront. Good um, ice cream. Good ice cream. And also, um, the, the, the terrace is not the uh, place you can see. It's not very large, but uh, especially... Um, when the sun, I think it's just going up huh, in the morning. Um, it's really nice to sit there, and I've had I've had a few chats with colleagues there who always uh, love the opportunity to meet me uh, uh, before surgery at eight o'clock, and we sit there have a cappuccino. Um, I think that then I think this is probably the best possible job I could have. So yeah, not bad, not a bad start to the day. Uh, what are you currently reading, watching, and or listening to? Plato and Platypus uh, come into a bar. I think that's my <laughs> current book. Mm-hmm. It's uh, like um, it sort of sketches the history of philosophy uh, um, by telling jokes. So the jokes explain philosophy. So that's <laughs> it's a very nice book, actually. Yeah. Not all the jokes are good, but not all the jokes are good. <laughs> um, describe your perfect weekend. Uh, my perfect weekend is probably um, very relaxed and uh, doing a lot of exercise. I like to play squash, so I usually um, do that on a Saturday. Um, uh, I always cook uh, on Saturday and Sunday. Um, um, yeah, just um, chilling. And, uh, perhaps uh, I really enjoy um, watching plays. Uh, so I, um, I went to the old market a few times here, um, which is a nice theatre. And, and especially in the summer, obviously... Um, it's wonderful to sit by the seaside and um, just see people pass by and uh, watch the, um, the uh, whatever's going on, on on the beach. And finally, if you could invite three people to dinner, past or present, who would you pick? 
Well, the most uh, simple uh, group would be obviously my wife and two daughters. Uh, <laughs> I would love them. They're still in Holland. My wife is now okay. in the process of retiring, so she'll be joining me soon, I hope. Uh, but I've thought about this. Uh, there's one guy I really like. It's called David Allen. He now lives in um, one of his books of my cupboard. And he's um, a productivity champion from the US. He, he now lives in Amsterdam, uh, as he thinks that's the best place in the world to live. Uh, another uh, person I thought about is called uh, Jonathan Sargent. He's a nice GP from a, co a company called Here. Uh, they do a lot of innovation stuff, um, and, and, and he's one of the people I, I talk to on the beachfront in <laughs> Morocco. He's a very dynamic GP from Brighton. So that, that's five, actually, probably, sorry. <laughs> Thank you to Harm for his time. That's just a taste of what he'll be talking about at his lecture. So if it's wet your appetite, you can book your free place. The link you need is in the podcast description or visit brighton.ac.uk. Next week, I'll be speaking to Duncan Baker-Brown from the School of Architecture and Design, who'll be discussing the circular economy and the waste zone, a symposium at the Future Build event in London early next month. If you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can search for University of Brighton on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to listen to back issues. That's also where you can like and subscribe. Thank you for listening.